Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew. Today, Pastor Matthew speaks on God Guarantees Satisfaction, preached on March 16, 1997. Matthew 5 and verse 6, God Guarantees Satisfaction. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The Beatitudes describe the character of the citizens of the kingdom of God. They are poor in spirit. They declare before God their utter spiritual bankruptcy. They also mourn specifically and particularly for their sins they have committed. They detest their sins. They forsake their sins. They are also meek because they have seen God. Those who see God are meek. They are humble. But now the fourth norm of the citizen of the kingdom is this blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness citizens of the world citizens of these United States of America are in hot pursuit of happiness they pursue happiness through the obtaining of money by hook or crook for they know that money will give them happiness of things access influence guan chi g u a n the next word x i guan chi the chinese term influence you need influence. Gives you power, pleasure, respect, recognition, health, welfare, and so on. While the world is seeking happiness, the citizens of the kingdom of God, they are engaged in a serious pursuit, seeking of righteousness. Blessed is the man. Happy is the man. Let me tell you, the problem is not the lack of happiness. If you understand humanity from a biblical point of view, the problem is sin. And if so, the fundamental question of man should be, how to be rid of sin. How to be without sin. Or how to be filled with righteousness. Martin Lord Jones said, if you seek pleasure, you will get misery. You will become unhappy in the end. But Jesus here is teaching an indirect way 
to obtain human happiness. Through direct seeking of righteousness. And righteousness is complete conformity to the revealed will of God. Concerning Jesus it is said, I have come to do thy will. Thy law is within my heart. St. Augustine said this in his confession. Thou hast made us for thyself. And our hearts are restless. In other words, we are unhappy and we are miserable. We are wretched. Until they find their rest in thee. In other words, happiness of a man is a byproduct of his fellowship with God. But the problem is sin. And a sinner cannot fellowship with the righteous God. So he must become righteous to meet with God and to fellowship with God. So the byproduct of that fellowship with God is human happiness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Dr. Lloyd-Jones tells us that this verse is a test to all of us. He says, I do not know of a better test than anyone can apply to himself or herself in this whole matter of the Christian profession than a verse like this. Now listen to him. If this verse is to you one of the most blessed statements of the whole of Scripture, you can be quite certain you are a Christian. If it is not, then you had better examine the foundations again, and I will counsel you to pay heed to his counsel in this statement. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. And this expression, ten dikaiosunen, this expression in the original Greek text tells us the hungering and thirsting of this individual is not for hungering and thirsting for some righteousness. That is a part of righteousness. But for the full righteousness. The whole righteousness. In other words, it is a hungering and thirsting for nothing less than perfect divine righteousness in its fullness. And so this noun righteousness is put in the accusative. Ten dikaiosunen. And not in the genitive case. Jesus is not pronouncing a benediction. Upon people. Who live a halfway decent life. 
or people who are in some way interested in social justice. It is not a benediction on Mahatma Gandhi or those who do occasional deeds of charity. It is a benediction upon those who hunger and thirst for whole, perfect, divine righteousness. Or put it in a different way, it is a benediction upon those who hunger and thirst for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that is the case, the first thing one must do is to deny his self-righteousness, his arrogance, his self-centeredness on the basis of Scripture itself. And the prophet Isaiah in the 64th chapter and verse 6 tells us, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteousness, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. That's what people are priding in. That which is unclean and detestable. And you see this, this type of pride. In the book of Philippians and chapter 3, St. Paul, before his conversion, gloried in his righteousness. He didn't hunger and thirst for righteousness. He gloried in his own righteousness circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, and as for legalistic righteousness, perfect, faultless. And I say before a person can hunger and thirst for righteousness, the kind we just defined, one must deny, forsake self-righteousness, as St. Paul himself did. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Loss, 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 dung, rubbish. And you see, Pharisee in Luke chapter 18, how he was glory in his righteousness. That's the first thing we must do, forsake self-righteousness, filthy rag, uncleanness, self-centeredness, boasting, sensitivity. I have seen a lot of people, you cannot tell them anything. If you say, if you say one word, they hurt, they are hurt. When I see such people, they, it seems as though the nerves, the feelings are all over the place. And you wonder which way to go, because if you say one thing, they are offended. I got a letter the other day 
from a person whom I helped quite a bit. And I thought it was a letter of thank you for all the thing I, things God has done to her, for her, through me and others. Oh, well, that was not thank you letter. It was, I was hurt. The person who hungers and thirsting after the righteousness of God will lose his sensitivity, which is due to self-centeredness, so that the prophet cannot speak one word. The preacher cannot speak a word. At the end of the sermon, they will come and tell you it. Doesn't matter how you felt about it. So we deny such self-righteousness and self-centeredness, such touchiness, such arrogance, such boasting. And then we seek for God's perfect righteousness in Jesus Christ. So St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us, for us, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That is what we are hungering and thirsting for. Jesus Christ, who became for us righteousness, sanctification, redemption. As Paul says again, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 23, verse 6, God, our righteousness, is not this halfway decent moralism that is described here. It is speaking about what Isaiah says in 61st chapter and verse 10. I delight greatly in the Lord, my soul rejoice in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. He's not going to grade you on a curve. He requires to be clothed with the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Divine, perfect, and complete. Or oh, turn with me to Psalm 11 and verse 7, which says, For the Lord is righteous, he loves justice. Now, a bright man will see his face at fellowship. A bright man will see his face. God is righteous, God is holy, and we cannot see his face unless we are upright. And seeing his face is blessing, inexpressible. That's beatific vision. That's bliss unending. 17th Psalm, verse 15. Here David says, and I, and I, Notice, in righteousness, 
I will see your face. When I awake, speaking about death and resurrection, when I awake, what happens? I'll be what? Satisfied with seeing your likeness. When you awake after death, you cannot glory that you gave 100,000. It wouldn't help you. You will not be able to see his face. You must have righteousness. This righteousness is both justification and more particularly it is sanctification. This righteousness is imputed to us in justification. It is forensic. It is legal declaration that you are just God who justifies the ungodly by imputing to you the perfect divine righteousness. That's true. That gives us legal standing before God. But more particularly, let me tell you, it is speaking about your ethical conduct. He who justifies you also sanctifies you. And we cannot separate justification and sanctification. He who imputes righteousness to you also implants it and imparts it to you that you will live a discipline, a life that is in conformity with God's will. He who justifies you will also produce fruit of the Spirit in your soul. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The spirit of the living God will produce it in your life. And your life will reveal these many faceted character. The spirit produces in us and we manifest this character in our actions and in our attitudes. Let me tell you it's a righteousness. That is qualified and sufficient, as I said already, to see his face and be satisfied that day when we awake. Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4, who may ascend the hill of the Lord. Who may stand in his holy place? Who is able to dwell with a holy God? And the answer is, he who has a clean hand. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. In other words, a righteous person. A holy person will see holy God. 
That's what it says. And this seeing will give you what? Satisfaction. People think it is sex. It is money. It is a house. It is a car. That will give you satisfaction. Woe unto you if you are so satisfied with such silly things. You have been created by God that you may behold God and be satisfied. And the day is coming of your departure, your exodus, your death. You are entering into a destiny. The day is coming. Hunger and thirst, it says. You, we need to know what does it mean. And I'll tell you, we don't know what that means. Let's acknowledge it. Let's confess it. Let's ask God to forgive us. Let's ask God to teach us, oh God, I don't know what it means to hunger and thirst. Teach us, oh God, because we don't know what it is. But let me tell you, it is intense hunger. And thirst. Turn with me to Joel chapter 2 and verse 11. Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with the fasting and weeping and mourning. That's pretty intense, isn't it? The bride and the bridegroom come out. The priests and everybody else come out. Let me tell you, it is not the hunger for a snack bar at 4 p.m. It is not the thirst for a Coke at 10 a.m. It is hunger that is so intense that you are literally dying. In 436 B.C., there was a famine in Rome, and there was no food. And people jumped into river Tiber and killed themselves for lack of food. It is a thirst so intense that you are dying. It is the experience of a man who is stranded in the Sahara Desert. It is the thirst of a deer in the summer when all the water holes are dry. And the deer pants and keeps going looking for a little water to drink. It is a hunger and thirst that could not be satisfied with any other things. I think our hunger and thirst will be instantly satisfied if we get $100 more a week. It is the hunger and the thirst of the prodigal son. When he was starving and when he was dying, he knew where the food was. And he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will rise and go. Go to my father's house. I will rise and go and eat and be filled and be satisfied. Let's examine ourselves and see whether we have such hunger. I, was, I examined a young boy yesterday. And I said, whatever you do, put it on the board with. Whatever you do with passion. And then give it a number of priority. And God helped him. And he put electronics number one. In other words, I suppose he is fascinated with it. And number two is God. And number three is parents. 
I appreciated his honesty. I wish we could all be so honest. All be so honest and be delivered from hypocrisy and make believe. Pretension. If you have real hunger, number one, you will, you will experience pain. Isn't that true? You will experience pain. You will feel your life ebbing away from you. 107th Psalm and verse 5. They were hungry and thirsty and their lives ebbed away. Such, such pain you feel in your stomach. I must eat to assuage this pain. We must have such a hunger for righteousness, for perfect conformity to God's revealed will. Martin Lloyd-Jones says there are, there are certain Christians, you know, they look for happiness. He says there are large numbers of people in the Christian church who seem to spend the whole of their life seeking something which they can never find seeking for some kind of happiness and blessedness. They go round from meeting to meeting and convention to convention, always hoping they are going to get this wonderful thing, this experience that is going to fill them with joy and flood them with some ecstasy. They see that other people have had it, but they themselves do not seem to get it. So they seek it and covet it, always hungering and thirsting, but they never get it. They go from seminar to seminar, from, they buy from tape to tape, videos to videos. And somebody gave me a book, The Sick Nature of God. I would like to throw it in the garbage, but I didn't because it belonged to somebody else. Stupidity! Absolute stupidity! Looking for some kind of experience. They don't want the real thing. They want some experience. They don't have a hunger and pain for righteousness, for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you really hunger and thirst, then let me tell you, only righteousness will satisfy you. Not money, not sex, not power, no fame, no friends, not, uh, not art objects. Nothing will satisfy you but Jesus Christ himself. Praise. Psalm 73 and verse 25. We read this. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. That's the real hunger we are talking about. There is pain. It's only righteousness that satisfies such a person. Number three, if you have such hunger and thirst, it will overcome all difficulties that stand in your way. In the book of Genesis chapter 42, there was a great famine in, in Israel. And Jacob finds out as food in Egypt. Genesis 42, when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? 
I have heard that there is crane in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. In Mark chapter 2, we are told about a person who is a paralytic. And four people brought this person. No room. And therefore, they climbed the building and removed the tile. And dropped him from the roof to the very presence of Jesus Christ. Overcoming difficulties. Look at blind Bartimaeus. Sitting at the highway through which Jesus was going. They told him shut up. He said no. Jesus son of David have mercy upon me. And they said shut up this. He shouted the more. Don't tell me. We hunger and thirst that way. It's not true. Turn with me to Matthew's gospel, 13th chapter. There is a parable of the hidden treasure. 44th verse. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it. He hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. You will do anything and you'll do everything that's necessary to be filled with righteousness. You will give up your ambition. You will give up a lot of things because you realize this and this alone is that matters. And Jesus said in the 14th chapter, look, in verse 25, verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife, children, his brothers, his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And such a person will do what Jesus Christ demands. That he may follow Jesus Christ and enjoy this fellowship overcomes all difficulties and I, let me tell you if we don't have this hunger and this thirst overwhelming intense thirst consuming thirst painful thirst it is because we are dead that people don't hunger or we are so sick and sick people don't hunger let me tell you, hungering and thirsting is a sign of life and health. Think about it. Examine yourself. Whether this is so of your life. Jesus said this in Matthew 11 and verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. And the forceful men lay hold of it. Prostitutes and publicans enter into the kingdom of God ahead of Pharisees and the self-righteous and the arrogant and the self-satisfied. In other words, like the pilgrim at the door of the castle at the wicked gate is knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking until it is opened. Seek and ye shall find. 
Knock and it will be open to you. Ask and you will receive. Violent. The violent take it by force. And let me tell you, if, if you are hungering and thirsting for this in this way, you will avoid all sins that you are practicing because they are opposed to righteousness. You will be so eager to rid of sin. And if there is no such passion to hate and detest and forsake and say goodbye to once and for all those sins, don't tell me you are hungry and thirsting for righteousness. It's not true. Not only that, we also avoid, as Lloyd-John says, we also avoid things that dull our appetite for righteousness. Legitimate in themselves, but it dulls spiritual appetite. And if we are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, we will place ourselves Wherever, in all probability, I could be filled with righteousness. In other words, such a person will go to church with a great passion. And will attend the preaching of the word with great listening ability. Such a person will come to church because... If two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. They will also read the word of God with great appetite and intellectual discipline. Because wherein we see Jesus Christ. And we will also pray like blind Bartimaeus. Of course his praying doesn't earn him the sight. But it expresses his thirst and hunger. Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. That's a prayer for the publican's prayer. I'm all unrighteousness. Have mercy upon me. A sinner. They will pray. And they will also voraciously will read not only the Holy Scripture, but also the lives of God's people. Saints of God. And not only that, they will discipline their life in such a way they will prioritize their life's activities and eliminate such activities that are meaningless in the final analysis. It simply says they'll be filled, but the meaning is they'll be filled with the fullness of divine and perfect righteousness. Because that's what you've been hungering after. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10. And we read here this. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ. Hallelujah. You've been given what? Fullness in Christ. It is that righteousness divine and perfect in its fullness so that we could see him who is righteous and be satisfied and let me tell you 
It is an immediate filling. Isn't that wonderful? It's an immediate filling. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have, we have peace with God. God's Holy Spirit comes into you and fills you. And reveals to you the glory and wonder and the majesty of Jesus Christ. Fills you immediately. Fills you in the present. David says, my cup what? Oh, overflow. It prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. And what else? My cup overflows. And he says, come unto me. All you who are thirsting and drink <laughs> out of your innermost being, what? Rivers of life shall flow. And so also it's a continuing filling. That's what sanctification is. We hunger and thirst and we are filled. We hunger and thirst for more, we are filled. We hunger and thirst for more, we are filled. From glory to glory, he's changing me. We receive from his fullness grace after grace after grace after grace. Which is sufficient for all our needs. And not only that, we'll be filled when we see him. That will be the fullness of all filling. First John 3 and verse 2, we will see him as he is. It will be a fullness where there shall be no sin. He delivers us from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, from the pollution of sin, and finally the fullness comes in the presence of sin itself is removed from us. Paul says, in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. But there will come a day when God will have done such a work in us, sin will be totally removed. And that will be fullness indeed. But it also means, filled means it's a gift. <laughs> it's not work righteousness. It's not self-righteousness. God wants you to bring an empty stomach. That's what prodigal son did. He brought an empty stomach. Hallelujah. Our hungering and thirsting do not earn salvation. These are hands of beggars lifted up to receive the gift. Salvation is by grace from beginning to end. And it says they will be filled. Let me tell you what that means. It means they alone will be filled. And mother of Jesus said this in Luke chapter 1 and verse 53. Quoting, I believe, probably Psalm 107. And here she says, He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich empty away. What are the conclusions? Let me give you some conclusion if you want to listen. First, the nature of God. God is compassionate to those who hunger and thirst. To the Syrophoenician woman, Jesus showed compassion. Consider that. God is compassionate toward us. Number two, God keeps promise. 
is not a man that he should lie. God keeps promise. It is he who said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they'll be filled. Number three, know this for sure. If you are hungering for the real thing, it is he who produced it in you in the first place. Number four, recognize the truth. He has a relationship with us. He is our heavenly father. And so, Luke says in Luke chapter 11 and verse 13, we read this. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let me tell you, not only God is, but God calls. God invites. Isaiah 55 and verse 1. Oh, everyone who thirst, come ye to the waters. He that hath no money, come buy and eat that your soul may delight itself in fatness come this is divine invitation but when God invites us he will satisfy you come and drink he says if you are thirsty out of your innermost being shall flow streams of water or turn with me to Revelation 22 and verse 17. Hear the call. The spirit and the bride say come. And let him who hears say come. Whoever is thirsty let him come. And whoever wishes let him take the free gift of water of life. Let me tell you that invitation still stands. Number three, God commands. In the Sermon on the Mount itself, chapter 6 and verse 33 of Matthew, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Hallelujah. And all these things shall be added unto you. But let me tell you, he will first give you righteousness. And along with he will also give you a need. Not wants, but he'll give you a need. He commands us to seek. Number four, thirst now and drink. You will thirst later for sure. As the rich man experienced in Luke 16. Nothing will happen to you but be sent to hell. Number five, you may want to make some objections. You may want to say to me, I was hungry, but God failed to fill. I prayed, I went, I sought, but nothing happened, Pastor. Hear the answer of God. You were not hungry enough to forsake your sin and wait patiently for God. Hear the answer of God as recorded in Hosea 6 and verse 4. Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. It is not intense, it is not persistent, it is not purposeful. Number six, hear the guarantee as recorded in the book of Deuteronomy. Oh, I, 
desire that you note this. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 29. God is speaking about his judgment poured out to his people because of their idolatry. But, he says, verse 29. But Eve from there, from captivity, from your slavery, from your misery, from your loneliness. But Eve from there you seek the Lord your God. You will find him. If you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. The same is reiterated by Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 29 verse 11 through 13 the same thing. Or turn with me to 107th Psalm and hear this great statement and rejoice in the Lord. 107th Psalm, verse 5, they were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. And verse 9, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Mary, the mother of our Lord, was quoting this. Finally, let me tell you, it is addressed to all sorts of people. It is addressed to sinners. Come. Come, he says. It is addressed to backsliding Christians. Come. And it is addressed to Christians themselves. Come. Come. Shall we rise? Come. Come. Hunger. Thirst. Hallelujah. With passion. With purpose. With perseverance. Hunger enough to forsake all sin. Hunger enough until you experience pain in your soul. You say that was a good sermon. I say no. No, it's not a good sermon. It is a good sermon if you repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise it is a lot of platitude and I don't need it. It's always a good sermon because it offers life to those who are dying. Hope to the hopeless. Comfort to the comfortless. Light to those who sit in darkness. Hallelujah. Let me ask you if you want. Do you want to be filled? Is there any one here, would you raise your hand and see if there is somebody who wants to be filled? Heavenly Father, we pray that you enable us to bow our knees now to your Son, Jesus Christ, the only Lord, that we may be filled, that our cup may overflow, that our bellies may become rivers of life, that we may be satisfied, that our hearts may receive rest from thee, O Lord, by that vital connection and relationship with you, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.